Episode 5, True Detective, The Secret Fate to All Life. If you want to have a conversation about it, you can sign up for the Patreon for as low as $2 a month. Patreon.com slash Reed's Ranch. No one's really taken the opportunity to open the uh, the thread there and discuss. Go ahead, be the first. I'm looking forward to uh, talking to you guys with it. At least, if not about this, maybe we'll do it for Season 3, which begins airing, I believe, on the 13th this Sunday. Episode 5 picks up uh, where 4 left off. At the end of 4, they had just left the stash house. They had just gotten Ginger, and they were trying to get in touch with Reggie Ledoux. Ginger is able to set up a meeting with DeWall, Reggie's partner at Cook and Meth. They go to a bar. Uh, it doesn't go well. It doesn't go well. This is the first time you, you really see Rust rattled. Rust is not the smooth-talking under control rust that he has been throughout the rest of the series really in in both time zones this is the first time you've seen him not be smooth I don't know if it's the the breakthrough they are close to having or the pressure he feels to to try to get in with this guy but it doesn't go well doesn't go well it doesn't help that ginger is there with a black eye that he apparently got at during a pool game which wasn't a very good story and that he seems a little skittish but rust wasn't on his game here and it showed through and it led to uh, his offer of you know trading cocaine for meth falling through and not only did it fall through but dewall pretty much told rust if i see you again i'm gonna kill you there's something really really wrong with you no I ain't got no use for it. Or your money. What money does, man? I can see your soul at the edges of your eyes. It's corrosive, like acid. You got a demon, little man. And I don't like your face. It makes me want to do things to it. I see you again. And I'm putting you down. There's a shadow on you, son. Kind of crazy to to know what we know about this man and to suspect of what we suspect of this man, that he's been kidnapping kids and doing horrific things to them. He's a, we at least know he's a meth cook. And for him to look across at Rust and say, man, you have some real demons. You're evil. Kind of, he's not wrong. He's not wrong. Rust is clearly a, a bothered troubled man but for him to be called that by this man rich rich in irony but also correct so he had, he refuses russ advances when it comes to a business proposition he ends up leaving luckily for rust marty outside following this man and tells him back to the farm a trailer park finds his truck and he has a good lead of where they think they are back in the the outskirts, the swamp of Louisiana, cooking a little meth. And they they link up. He gets rust out there, and they begin a hunt. They begin a hunt. They're going to try to track him through the woods to get a better look of their operation and then just call for backup at that point. 
Of course, Rust has a, a funny take on hunting that I regurgitate to my my friends and, and family members who hunt. Every time they try to talk to me about deer hunting, I just pull this quote out from Rust and try to make them feel bad about themselves. You ever been hunting, Marty? Uh, yeah. Ten-point buck year before last, 50 yards. I'm not talking about sitting in a treehouse late in the ambush a buck come to sniff your gash bait. I'm talking about tracking. Jesus, you're a prick. Look, we find a place, we come back here, we call it in, one of us stays surveillance, yeah? I'm gonna live with that. Let's go. If you are a hunter, um, apologies. If not, there's some ammunition next time you, you talk to a friend or family member or somebody about hunting. Drives them crazy because they really don't usually have a, a comeback. But there you heard it. The plan is we're going to go get a look at these guys and call for backup. Marty wants to call for backup. Russ says, yeah, okay, cool. That's, uh, of course, what we'll do. I don't think that was ever the plan for Rust. I don't think Rust had any intentions of calling for backup because as soon as they find him, as soon as they find DeWall and it looks like Ledoux's in there, they they say no. We can't. Rust goes, no, we can't call for backup. They'll swarm in here, spook them through the woods, and we'll lose them. I don't think he ever intended on calling for backup, but here we go. And as they're sneaking up, I love the the uh, the the illusion that we're having, or or I guess the the story that both Rust and Marty are telling the detectives in 2012 about what went down. Like they are lying and perfectly recalling uh, a lie. They're tell they're they're painting a scenario that did not happen as we see them, basically, and or I guess literally, not basically. They literally track down and hunt these men down, and they have found them. And Mar- Russ does give Marty a chance to leave, a chance to go back and get out of the scenario, get get out of the situation, and, and remove himself. But Marty, of course, is saying, "No, I'm not leaving you here to do this by yourself." So it's on, it's on. As they came in, you know, they were they were doing real hunting and down to the ground tracking, and they they overstep a grenade tripwire who was there so it's obvious that these people have you know done their due diligence in terms of keeping um, imposters or keeping intruders away so they're not really expecting any company and marty and rust are able to to easily sneak in their house and apprehend reggie ledoux and as they get reggie ledoux out on the ground and handcuffed you think okay here we go this guy looks like a murderer he's got the devil worshiping tattoos he's got the nazi tattoos he's got the the yellow king's circular brand on him and you're just wondering it's intense like is this going to go down this easily with ledoux in handcuffs on his knees as we know that dewall is somewhere else around rust has him cuffed on his knees marty begins looking around exploring the setup, exploring the land. And as they're doing that, DeWall then comes out of a of a trailer, you know, 50, 100 yards away, as Rust is sort of, you know, calling Marty, hey, Marty, come back, as Marty's closing in on a, on a trailer, um, of a transfer trailer that's been locked. And 
Reggie Ledoux is on his knees and he's not worried at all about this. He is almost at peace as he talks to to Russ saying that, no, this is preordained. I have seen you in my dreams. I saw you in my dream. You're in Carcosa now with me. He sees you. You'll do this again. Time is a flat circle. What's that, Nietzsche? Shut the fuck up. Put it down! Marty! Twin. There you go. Black star. Put your hands on your head. Reggie Ledoux is at peace. Reggie Ledoux was ready to die, which is good because Marty kills him. Marty opens the trailer, finds two kids in the trailer, and again, you know, dating. This is kind of flashing back to the conversation we had at the Bunny Ranch, right? With with Marty showing showing compassion and wanting to protect that you know young girl who was working at the prostitution house out in the trailer. You know, he gives her money, tells her to clean up. Marty has already shown that he has a a soft spot for kids, which obviously is not unusual, but Marty has already shown that in his character. So it, it's not surprising that Marty's immediate reaction to seeing these abducted children is to completely snap and lose it. Walks right out, gun to Reggie Ledoux's head, pop, shot. Reggie Ledoux's brains splattered. Russ Cole looks isn't even really surprised. Keeps his cool as DeWall tries to run away. Runs over a tripwire. Blows himself to pieces. And this is the real moment, I guess, where you see just... I don't know if it's just a regular police bond. If it's the bond that Marty and Rust have. If it's Rust understanding because, keep in mind, Rust's character, he has... you know, He, he, did, he did four years undercover as a narco because he basically did the same thing, executed a, a crystal meth addict who was injecting it in a in a baby. He knows that Marty isn't just a killer that's going to come and kill. He knows that this had to have been justified. So as he goes to explore and look at what Marty has found, he tells Marty, look, we got to make this crime scene look right. You uncuff uncuff him before the blood settles. Which then leads to a pretty cool scene as they're both, you know, they're, they're still lying in present day and in a, a 1995, I guess, deposition in front of the, uh, I guess, in front of the board. They are, you know, they have a perfectly orchestrated lie. It makes sense. And it, it, it's a really cool scene as they're lying. You see Rust telling this tale. And you see him in, in 1995 taking a machine gun and just spraying fire to the woods making the crime scene look legit. And then they get the hero's welcome as they carry the kids. And we do find out that the boy had died, but you get the you get the hero shot that had been you know referenced earlier. Because Marty and Rust have both been talking about this shootout. They've both been talking about the hero shot and gunfire. And here we've seen it finally come to a head. We see it finally we see it finally show up, and we've learned what's happened in this shootout. But even as we've seen them get this hero's welcome, as they are both talking about it, 
in the 2012 present day, neither one is thinking fondly of this. You know, Rust is still thinking back to the torture that these kids have gone under and thinking about this this new murder that has taken place. And Rust uh, quotes a a interesting character to quote, I guess, as he's talking uh, to the two policemen. Why should I live in history, huh? I don't want to know anything anymore. This is a world where nothing is solved. Someone once told me time is a flat circle. Everything we've ever done or will do, we're going to do over and over and over again. And that little boy and that little girl, they're going to be in that room again. And again. And again. Forever. So as you see, in 1995, the promotions start rolling in, and and they are cleared by the board for the shootout. They're going in, they get a hero's welcome by their co-workers. As you see all that, you hear Rust with just a really depressing view on life that he has stolen from Reggie Ledoux. That, that time is a flat circle and we are just meant to keep living the same life and get stuck in the same nightmare and you just keep going on and on and on into eternity and that these, these kids who have been tortured and retrieved, either alive or dead, are just going to live another life where they get stuck doing that same thing. Kind of like how Rust cannot get out of this loop from this murderer, from the Yellow King, because... You know, you think in 1995 that this is over. You later see in this episode, it pops back up in 2002. It pops back up in 2012. That's how they got him in this interrogation room in the first place to talk, or I guess in the office to talk, is that they are still stuck in this cycle. Rust is still haunted by this. 17 years later, time's a flat circle. Like, you may get older, but you're going to kind of keep living the same life over and over and over. Now, Marty, on the other hand, Marty, on the other hand, he's he's talking about, you know, the the good times after 1995. You know, after after solving this big crime, it's a foot in the door back with Maggie and his family, and it it, it zooms into a it zooms back to a a family skating rink night where Marty is saying how Maggie is snapped out of it as she is a zombie skating behind him, not really looking like a happy woman, but kind of accepting her fate of wanting to do what's right for the kids, wanting to get back in a comfortable relationship, not wanting to give up on someone she's invested so much time in. They talk. They're going to work things out. But you already know there's no happy ending here. Last episode, you saw Marty rubbing his hand with with no wedding ring. You know that this is doomed for disaster, and here Marty kind of talks about why it was doomed and why it just didn't work. You know the good years when you're in them? Or you just wait for them until you get ash cancer and realize that the good years came and went. Because there's a feeling, you might notice it sometime, this feeling like life has slipped through your fingers. Like the future's behind you, like 
Like it's always been behind you. You know, I cleaned up, but maybe I didn't change. Not the way I needed to. So here's Marty stuck in this hell as well. Marty, who had you know, rec- you know, had gotten had gotten another chance to be a father. It, it just he didn't take advantage of it. And you hear him say, "A, the good old days are gone. A, the good old days are gone." And he's kind of stuck living the 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 nightmare afterwards. But also, you hear him talk about uh, not being able to change, right? And this kind of this is kind of Marty being stuck in that loop, right? Time is a flat circle. The little girl and boy are are destined to keep getting kidnapped and tortured and raped. Uh, Rust is destined to keep with the same case and have this same emptiness inside. And here you have Marty, who is just kind of destined to to ruin a family setting and ultimately be alone. You hear him talk about I, I could I thought I could change, but turns out you know I just kind of couldn't. I kept making the same mistakes. I kept taking them for granted times a flat circle right and again you have marty go back to the well with this detective curse and and how he now realizes that everything he wanted the life the clues the clue to happiness in life was right in front of him and the pain here in in woody harrelson's face as he is recalling blowing another opportunity and not raising his daughters in the right way is just really it's one of the the more genuine painful relatable moments of the entire series this 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 soliloquy right here may be Woody Harrelson's best work of the entire series remember what I said about the detective's curse solution of my whole life was right under my nose that woman those kids watching everything else. See, infidelity is one kind of sin, but my true failure was inattention. I understand that now. That scene right there, that that couple minutes where Marty is, is reminiscing on the life that he could have had and wasted, as you see the show take another time travel, right? We have progressed from 1995 to 2002, and 2002 has already been referenced in the show a lot as we try to figure out what happened with Marty and Cole. We're trying to figure out what happened with them and their relationship and and why they no longer talked, why Rust left the force, why he disappeared. So we see the the time move forward through... Marty's daughters in a, in a beautiful scene as these young girls lose, lose a crown up in a tree. And we fast forward with Audrey, Marty's daughter, getting out of a, of a Jeep or an SUV or something with, with other people in it. And she's all gothed out. And they go to a quick scene at the dinner table where obviously they have no relationship. And eventually we get to the the setup where we, we see Marty's maybe, in, in his mind, I would assume, the biggest failure he's had as his daughter was caught in a car with two boys. Marty's inattention to his family 
has led to one of, you know, almost every guy's or every father's, not their worst nightmare. Obviously, the worst nightmare would be uh, them, them dying or ending up in a situation like a lot of these kids in, in the show so far have been. And they haven't received that ultimate fate, right? That 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 horrible fate. But he his negligence has led to his daughter acting out and and falling somewhere like around like the fourth or fifth on the worst scale uh, list where she is now being double teamed in a car with two boys. And Marty is irate. And Marty again, his inattention has 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 led to this. So here we have Marty who has now flipped to the pessimistic side in 2012. No family, no real purpose, and he's failing in 2002. Not going well for him. Rust in 2002 is back at his old tricks. He's been known as the state's best, basically, interrogator. If you want a confession, you can get a confession if you call Rust Cole. What's the trick, they ask him? Rust tells them, hey, we all have weaknesses, right? Everyone's guilty. Everyone's guilty. You just have to kind of play on that. And it's funny that they they get that quote from Rust as he has just lied and been guilty of what happened in the shootout. So they're, they're, they're now here in 2002 where Rust is trying to get a confession from a man who has committed a double murder. And Rust plays into that that fear and walks him right into a trap of him admitting, yes, I killed both of them. I need forgiveness. Well, he's done such a good job that the the killer then says, Hey, I need some I need a deal. We we need to strike a deal. I need a better result. And, you know, Rust is like, I don't need a deal from you. I just have the confession. To which the man starts getting desperate and starts spouting off things, saying, Hey, I know who you are. I know I know this cases you've worked and you guys got the wrong guy. The Yellow King is still out and still killing. I know about him. To which Rust, of course, this this information has uh, has not been public. This information, you know, hasn't been released. It wasn't a part of the court cases. It wasn't a part of the newspaper write up. So now Rust is freaking out, thinking, seven years later, did we get the wrong man? Yon there cocked man that did that. He's been out there, killing. You talking out your ass, boy. You don't know a fucking thing. He's trying to buy some time, ain't you? I met him once. There's big people who know about him. Big people. Uh, ain't no deal, because there ain't no people. You, know, you make me a deal. You deal with me about these murders. Ain't no deal. You ain't got nothing because you're full of shit. And there ain't nobody alive that didn't know they killed him. He's dead, boy. I'll tell you about the Yellow King. So Rust has to deal with the shocking revelation that they didn't get the right guy. And he's he's completely confused by it. He is irate when he gets pulled out. He even, you know, he beats up this this witness and gets pulled out and thinks that it's some type of prank with the other cops asking what the hell is going on. But Russ is having to deal with the fact that, you know, they thought, you know, seven years ago they caught a monster who was doing horrific things. And not only did they not get the right guy, but the right guy is still out there killing and is connected to very powerful men in the state. And they're back to square one, really. 
they are back to square one, really. And to top that off, by the time they get back in for the next day to get a chance to talk to this guy more, he has killed himself in the jail cell after receiving a phone call, to which the cops are saying was from his lawyer. They track down where the call came from. They It takes them back to a, a pay phone pretty much in the middle of nowhere, and it's obvious that a lawyer would not go there to call a witness. So someone has driven to this this weird, desolate place to make a phone call to the jail cell to instruct this man that he needs to kill himself. So we're back full speed as Rust in 2002 is driving down the same road him and Marty have driven down so many times. And you you see the billboard from 1995 about a missing woman and it's faded and Rust, here he is living the same life seven years later. Tom is a flat circle, right? He is living the same scene he lived very early on in 1995 after this murder he goes back to the school looking for clues and finds more of the stick figures finds more of the stick figures and yeah the the yellow king and his army have still been doing these kidnappings these abductions these murders more stick men more murders in 2012, the two cops, Gilbo and Papina, are turning up the heat on Rust. They show him photos that they have taken, or they've had taken, of him at these crime scenes. They want to know why all of a sudden he's back on the scene and a murder happens. They ask to see his, you know, his storage unit. At that time, Rust then... Uh, is is angry at them, saying, no, how about you guys actually work the damn case and do some jobs? Because he's disgusted at what they've shown him from the 2012 files. Like, they have pretty much no leads on this. Rust, 17 years you know, earlier, has done more work than they have on this same case. They have nothing. He gets testy, says, if you want to ask me any more questions, arrest me. If not, I'm leaving. So he's gone. And they run the same theory by Marty saying, hey, I think that Rust, basically saying Rust is the killer. Rust is the killer. Everything in this case, you know, is because Rust was leading cops to the clues. Rust was finding all these things. Rust was planning stuff. You guys had worked together for three months. Nothing happened. Then all of a sudden you're breaking all these, you have all these breakthroughs in this case. You're having, you know, leads pop up out of nowhere. That's not a coincidence. It's not because all of a sudden you were doing good detective work. It's because Rust was playing a game with you. And now Rust has been gone for 10 years, pops back up in Louisiana, and we have another antler killing. So the episode ends with the new markings in the school and the and the revelation that at the 2012 talk between Rust, Marty, Gilbo, and Papina is because they suspect that Rust Cole is the murderer. So again, Rust is right when he's mad at them for not having worked this case at all because I don't think anyone at any point thought that Rust would actually have been the killer. But it just shows just how you know out of touch they are in this case. But we've had new breakthroughs. We've had new bodies. We've had new stickmen. And... Episode 5 ends just in this loop. Rust had it in 1995. It popped back up in 2002. And here it is again in 2012. 
All right, appreciate everyone for checking out episode five. I've been really happy with the the number of listens on each episode. They've held steady. I've had a lot of people telling me they're listening and enjoying this and watching the series for the first time. That's awesome. I appreciate it. We will put up, I said we, we as in me, I will put up the next episode tomorrow. We'll keep this running through the week. And then, like I said, on Sunday when True Detective Season 3 fires up, we'll be ready to go with these. I don't know when I'll get them out, the new episodes. It might be a Monday night type of thing, and then you can dissect it all week. And hopefully we can have some good dialogue. Patreon.com slash Reads Ranch if you are rocking with it and want to be able to have that discussion with us. And really, just quite frankly, subscribe to the Reads Ranch thread on podcast, uh, you know, on iTunes or Stitcher. Leave me a five-star review. Tell me you love me. Do something like that. I appreciate you guys. Uh, We'll talk soon.